Listeners, summer is officially almost here, and along with it, a whole bunch of new Don't Ask Tig episodes are headed your way. This summer, I'm personally very excited to go travel with my family. Stephanie and I also have a very big project that we're working on that hopefully I can share more about soon. But what about you besides listening to my hit sensation of a podcast? What are you up to this summer? Are you traveling or staying put, finding a great book to read, doing a big project with my wife, Stephanie, or trying a refreshing summertime recipe? Let me know, and maybe I'll read some on the show. Go to don'tasktig.org or call 833-275-8444. That's 833-ASK-TIG-4 and leave me a voicemail. And by the way, I've got some tour dates coming up. I'll be in Jacksonville, Oregon, July 21st. Eugene, Oregon, July 22nd. Colorado Springs, September 25th. Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th, Boulder, Colorado, September 29th, and Brooklyn, New York, November 4th at King's Theater. There's two shows. I believe the first one is sold out, but come on out. And I I apologize again for having to move my taping from June to November, but because of the Writers Guild of America strike, I had to move it to November. So go to tignotaro.com for all ticket and show information. Now on with the show. I used to be a skater when I was in junior high school, have you know? I think I did know that, actually. (laughs) No, you did not know. There is no Well, we met once, and I believe there was talk of some skateboarding in your past, but maybe I was just dreaming that. When we met? Yeah. I immediately went to, oh, I skateboarded. (laughs) I don't think, I think there was a grace period. (laughs) Okay. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, and I consider giving advice to be an extreme sport. (laughs) My guest today is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and arguably the greatest skateboarder of all time. He turned pro at age 14, and by 16, he was considered the best competitive skateboarder on planet Earth. He is the first skateboarder to ever land the trick known as the 900, considered for years to be the holy grail of vertical skateboarding. His nickname is Birdman, but I know him simply as Tony. Tony Hawk, welcome to Don't Ask Tick. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. I don't know if I can live up to it. but <laughs> Well, you already have. All the skate terminology just rolled smoothly off your tongue. <laughs> well, I've certainly never landed the 900. There's still time. No, no, there is not. Not at 52. My time is done. <laughs> what is a 900? Oh, it is a two and a half spin in the air, leaving one side of a ramp, spinning around two and a half times and coming back down the same side of the ramp. It was something that I was working on for the better part of 10 years. Previous to that was a 720, which is two spins. 
Um, I did that in 1985 and didn't land a 900 until 1999. Wow. It was a long journey. And so do people just do the 900 now? Because I feel like that's what happens. Some do, yes. They move beyond that too. Like how many people? Not too many though. I mean, still to this day, I I can only count about less than 20 people that have done it. And then there are three people that have done 1080s. So that's three spins. And then there is one person that did a 1260, which is three and a half spins. How? The three and a half is the one that is the most baffling to me because the hardest part about 900s, for me anyway, was that my landing zone is blind twice during my spin. Yeah. So you don't really get to catch it. You just have to believe it's there yeah. and feel it. When you're spinning three and a half, who knows where it is and what's happening. And was that filmed, the three and a half? Yeah, it was uh, at Michi Brusco. It was at the X Games about four years ago, five years ago. It's on a bigger ramp, so he has more airtime. Uh-huh. And somehow people think that's easier having ridden both those size ramps and the size I like to ride, I don't think it's any easier. I think it's way more frightening. He has to launch at least 12 to 15 feet in the air in order to get that much spin time. Somebody could get terribly hurt doing that as well, right? Many have. I did too. (laughs) You got hurt. I broke my rib trying 900s. I didn't get too beat up. I mean, I I definitely took my hits Mm -hmm. and Gave up a few times because it was so painful. But no, I ended up getting the most hurt on a 540, which is one and a half. I just got over a broken rib. How long did that take you to recover from that? Well, it, let's just say it was a couple weeks before I was breathing normally. Uh-huh. It was really painful to breathe. Yeah. And once I got over that, I just kind of went back into what I was doing. My first week was very rough. And then it oddly started to kind of be okay soon after that. It exponentially gets better. Yeah. And then you'd forget about it. Yeah. Just had to ask because like I said, just got over that for myself. Now you've been sharing your recovery from your injury last year. Yeah. Aging obviously takes its toll on all of us, but as a skateboarder, you probably feel it (laughs) more than most. How has your philosophy towards your age evolved over time? I have much more respect for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I broke my femur a year ago, which I had never done before. I broke my femur a year and a half ago. We're on the same trajectory. Come on. Anyway, go ahead. We're kindred spirits. Yeah, yes. I told you it's not too late to yeah. start skating. Okay. You're getting hurt worse doing whatever you're doing than you would be skating. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I'm just breathing in and out, but go on. Uh, so I broke it and then I was hell bent on getting back out there as soon as possible. I started skating way too soon. I ended up forcing it to be a non-union fracture, which is in the business means my bone actually stayed disconnected. It never went back together because I just kept putting pressure on it and finally it went sideways. Yeah. I was in denial of that for the first seven months or so and just thought I'm I'm always in pain. I guess that's how it is after you break your leg and my skating wasn't progressing. And then I got an x-ray and I got the truth that no, this is not going to heal the way that you have it. So I had it reset, realigned in November and waited this time around. So to answer your question, I respected the The healing process and my age Mm. the second time around when my do-over. Now it feels great. I haven't been looking back. That's amazing. 
Yeah. The femur is really hard. Yeah. Apparently one of the hardest bones. Yeah, the hardest, biggest bone. It's the hardest one to heal. Yes. And it's frustrating because you want to get about your life, go back to normal. Without a severe limp. Yeah. Yes, that would be lovely. Yeah. Uh, and you're not limping at all? Not now, no. I mean, I, I, I'm i back to skating at a high level again. In fact, I created a new trick yesterday. Really? And I kind of thought through those dark days that my days of innovating were over. Tell me what the trick is, just so I can work on that. <laughs> okay. It's a mouthful. It's a, uh, it's a half cab body varial to backside blunt. Mm. Or as street skaters would say, fakie body varial to blunt back 180. What does it look like? It's more something that takes place right at the top of the ramp. It's not in mm-hmm. the air. So it looks kind of like a dance on the coping. <laughs> and so you've been working towards this for a long time? I, I had the idea as I started to get my skating and my confidence back. Uh-huh. I did a variation of that trick that wasn't as complicated mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And I thought, oh, you know, with how I'm feeling now, I feel like I could get back to something of that caliber that doesn't require a lot of compression, a lot of mm-hmm. strength, a lot of airtime. Mm-hmm. And I just fixated on it for a couple of weeks and finally made one yesterday. And so have you, with getting older, which by the way, you look great. Thank you. Do you give yourself a bit of a break at all to take it easy or are you still- I try, but if you ask my wife, she'd say no. Yeah. And you skate every day? I'm trying to skate almost every day. Yeah. I have been in the last few mm-hmm. weeks, but to answer your question- I've learned to just be okay with showing up and performing at a decent level. And I used to never accept that. It had to be all or nothing. Yeah. So you might be the perfect person to ask this question. Do you recommend that people turn their passion into a job? If you have any way to do so, yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. Because you enjoy your work and you'd be doing it for free anyway. Right. So if there's any living to be made, it's worth it. I agree. My father was very into building and programming computers, and I used to always encourage him to do that. And he said, oh, you never turn your hobby into a job. And I was like, why? (laughs) Like, why on earth would you not do that? Because we need a life of struggle and penitence. I know, I know. I never understood that, but I agree. Well, I mean, on the flip side of that, I love my job, but it's hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. There are days when I do not feel like skating, and there are days when I don't want to push through all this pain of a traumatic injury to get back there, but I love it. It's very similar with comedy. It's like some days I'm having the absolute worst day of my life. I have to go on stage and make everybody laugh or, you know, you bump into somebody on the street and you're, you're a comedian. So of yeah, course you're yes. going to be hilarious all the time. But yeah, I wouldn't do anything else. Although I do fantasize about retiring and just gardening. And do you ever have those moments? Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty hectic schedule mm-hmm. in our quiet moments during the day. I think this would be nice to have more consistently. Yes. Yeah. And speaking of jobs, you described yourself as, quote, an unlikely CEO. Yeah. What is something that you wish you knew when you started as an entrepreneur? Oh, 
that I, uh, just because I've been successful in the skateboard industry or video game industry does not, does not equate to success elsewhere in terms of investing or being part of a company. Mm, mm -hmm. I had one big misstep investing in a denim brand Mm. where my partner and I, we just thought everything we did was, (laughs) you know, we had the Midas touch and we were killing it. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait, what, what's a lean? (laughs) What do you mean? We, we have to pay that much to make the product? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can only imagine you have a, a similar feeling that I did. It's like you start out skateboarding because you enjoy it. I start out telling jokes because I enjoy it. And then all of a sudden you're a boss. Yeah. Like you're looking at me. I don't know what I'm swinging it. <laughs> right. You're trying to catch up with where business is and yeah. work is. And you're still just the skateboarder or comedian that you're like, okay, I, I'm a boss now. And uh, I'm yeah. <laughs> trying to figure out. Uh, I don't know. Book a show. Yeah, it's wild. But I. Uh, I mean, it takes a while, but you 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 do fall into a some sort of groove or some sort of yeah. rhythm with with who you're working with, and I feel like I've finally found mm-hmm. that within the last five years or mm-hmm. so. I mean, I have a mm-hmm. building of people I employ, and we all have a good cadence. That's great. I can't complain. I have a really good situation. I just find myself going, how on earth am I somebody's boss? So, <laughs> Tony, <laughs> yes. do you enjoy giving advice? Um, If asked, I do not impart advice without first being requested to. What about your kids? Unless it's my yeah. kids. And then they don't listen. So what's the point? <laughs> they all skate, by the way. But when I do give them advice on a skateboard, they absolutely refuse it. <laughs> And then I'll see one of their friends who is an accomplished skater, give them the exact same piece of advice and they listen and then they learn the trick. That has happened repeatedly in, in our family. My kids aren't old enough to ask me advice. They're six. There's no world where they would be like, oh, I wonder what she thinks about this. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, you've said in the past that your favorite of all titles is dad. So I'm thinking you'll have great advice for our first listener. It doesn't mean I'm good at it. It just means that I, I like the title. That's all right. The shows Don't Ask Tig. <laughs> okay. Nobody's holding us to anything. Lenny writes, my kids are really picky eaters. Not only that, my kids don't like the same foods either. I'm basically preparing three meals every night. They're five and one, so their food isn't hard to prepare, but I worry about them one day being annoying dinner guests not eating what their friends or hosts have spent time preparing. Should I just make one meal and whoever eats it, eats it? Tony, I have the same question. (laughs) Did you run into this? Uh, Very much so. And they mostly grow out of it. You don't have to force it. What age? I would say in their teenage years. Okay. There was a point where it was only chicken nuggets or bagels. You're saying just... Hang in there, be patient, they'll outgrow it. I will tell you that I had a conversation once with one of my kids who was the most picky eater Mm -hmm. when he was about five or six years old. And I said, what will it take for you to try a new food? And he said, half of California. (laughs) And I said, half of California? He goes, yeah, the half that has Legoland in it. That is so funny. (laughs) Let them just grow up and grow out of it. Keep encouraging them to try new stuff, especially when you travel. Mm -hmm. 
because that's when they get stuck. Yeah, They don't have their comfort food or whatever it is. And that's when you can just sort of swoop in and say, maybe you should try yeah, this. That's good advice because it is tricky traveling with picky eaters. Yes. Lenny, I knew you weren't picky when you asked me for advice. Maybe your kids will learn from your example. All right, Tony, I have more listener questions for us after we take a quick break. Okay. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Weigh basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we're back. Tony, here's a question from a listener in Iowa. Ashley writes, I'm terrified of flying, but my husband's family is spread across the country. Periodically, he has relatives who ask us to visit, and my first instinct is always to say no. Some have even offered to pay for our tickets. We have decided to visit his cousin in California this summer. While I'm very excited to spend time with them and experience the West Coast, I'm already anxious about the trip. I have flown several times before, and I always hate it. I know you travel all the time. Do you have any tips for dealing with my flight anxiety? I would prefer not to be out of my mind on meds or booze. 
Do you have a problem with flying or? I don't. Uh-uh. Yeah. I mean, you're doing scarier things on your skateboard. <laughs> I guess. I've been on some scary flights, but I have been flying for 40 plus years. Yeah. And uh, I can't say that I've ever had an incident where it was truly life or death. Yeah. And I mean, just that in itself should be some sort of comfort. Right. Um, but I think that it is the safest way to travel. You are far safer in that seat than you are driving in your car. Mm-hmm. And if it gets a little bumpy, that's to be expected. There's air up there. Right. I don't know. I always think of that scene and say anything when they're just waiting for the for the seatbelt light to go off. Uh-huh. Like, you know, everything's going to be good when the seatbelt light goes off. I travel all the time and I'm still, <laughs> I still struggle. I've gotten a lot better when it's really bumpy. You do not want to sit next to me. But I I do find that oddly having a window seat and looking out of the window is helpful to me because looking out makes it seem like it all makes sense. Because when I look inside of the plane, you can see the plane bouncing around. But if you look out of the window and it just feels more still. Yeah. And I don't like to dwell on statistics, but tens of thousands of planes are going up and down every day Mm -hmm. and you don't hear anything about them. You really do not. It's rare. And what comes to the surface that's newsworthy is people freaking out on planes. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) That's far more dangerous. I recently started doing transcendental meditation and I was surprised that just even being on the plane and focusing on my meditation distracted me from what was around. So maybe that's something to check out, Ashley. Yeah, that won't make you loopy. That'll hopefully bring you away from the noise and For the sure. chaos. So Tony and I wish you safe and sane travels in your future. It's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. It for sure is. Until it's not. Tony, this next question is about love and faith. Lise in Montana writes, I'm in a romantic partnership with someone who intends to ordain at a monastery in the next five years. I've known this since we met nearly two years ago. There's genuine love here. Do I embrace us and go all in knowing there's an end visibly on the horizon Or do I lean into my wish to create a family with people who are available for longer-term connections? I think it's easy for me to be sitting here on a podcast called Don't Ask Tig and say, you know, that you should should find somebody that's available long-term. But I also know what it's like, you know, it's that idea of the heart wants what it wants, you know? Sure. But I think there's also an element of you want what's not available Mm -hmm. that could be a a big element of that where you're romanticizing this relationship because it is fleeting. Mm -hmm. So I would probably go towards, yes, end it and find someone that is truly available Mm long-term and it's going to be better for you in the long run. And and also if if you lean into this relationship so much and you fall deeper, it's only going to be that Mm -hmm. much harder. When it ends. I'm on your side. I'm just, I'm looking at all these different angles. I've been in situations even where somebody's not running off for religious reasons where it's clearly not going to be long-term and I'm still 
I was still finding myself going back and staying involved. And um, the more grounded thing to do is what Tony said. Yeah, saying. I think I think the healthier thing too, just for your long-term sanity and mm-hmm. sense of self. All right. Lise, best of luck. Let us know what happens. Tony and I are going to be connecting periodically saying like, has anyone heard from Lise? Have you heard from Lise? Do you know what Lise ended up doing? Tony, this next question is what I call a who oh boy. Who oh boy. Jesse writes, hi, Tig. I recently went on an Italian vacation and brought back souvenirs for my coworkers, including bags of Italian pasta for my two male bosses. A few weeks after giving my bosses the gifts, one of them came up to me and said, hey, I made the pasta you gave me last night. Did you handpick that noodle shape just for me? Well, turns out I had accidentally gifted them (laughs) bags of penis-shaped pasta inspired (laughs) by the statue of David. Should I acknowledge this unintentional mess up and reiterate that I am happily married? Help me fix this penis pasta faux pas. (laughs) Jesse, yeah, yeah, you should definitely (laughs) acknowledge that. I, I don't know how you couldn't. There's no way you want to leave anything <laughs> no. to conjecture. No. Or that, well, maybe. Yeah. Did they call HR? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like I can kind of roll with anything. I feel like that would embarrass me. It's that innocent mistake. Yeah, sure. That's what embarrasses me. Yeah, you just have to say, I really didn't even look. I was trying to get you authentic Italian pasta. I didn't realize that it was a bit of a joke. Yeah, keep it very serious, like Tony just did. Yeah, factual, just yeah. factual. Yeah. So there's no innuendo. There's nothing to be questioned. It's yeah. just, this is what happened. I am sorry. And don't say anything like, I didn't mean to buy you penis pasta. Yeah, I would never acknowledge what it is. Yeah. Jesse, you cooked up a real... Oh boy there. Thanks for writing in. (laughs) Tony, our last segment is called Name That Thing. Name That Thing. On Name That Thing, we come up with a name for listeners with some thing that they need a name for. Anything from a dog to a houseplant. The catch is that no matter what we choose, the name must be used. Tony? You think you can help me with this massive responsibility? I think so, yes. Okay. Today's request comes from Charlie. Charlie writes, Tig, I know you're a cool music nerd. My roommate Maria and I have been talking about starting a band, and we were wondering if you would name our group. Neither of us can play instruments yet, but we're inspired by all the punks who didn't know how to play before they started a band. Maria wants to be a frontman who sings and plays the drums. I figure I'll play ukulele, bass, or guitar. We want to play punk music with funk and country influences. Any ideas? Well, first of all, I love that Maria wants to sing and play the drums. I don't know if you know this, but that's like the band 38 Special. Do you remember them, Tony? Yeah, sure. Do you know they had two drummers? I didn't know that. 
On what planet does a band need two drummers? <laughs> so what kind of music do you listen to? A lot of punk, like early punk. That was the soundtrack to skating through my life and just kept that theme going. Oh, is anything coming to you as far? Because sometimes chatting about these different things. I will... feel like I was going to go with something like the beginners or the mm, yeah uneducated, like the you know just to to throw it out there. Like, we don't know what we're doing. We're new. I like or the we're beginners. new to this. See, I had done more of a play on word word scramble type thing, and I was thinking punk functory. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. But then you're kind of pigeonholing their style of music. You're right. Maybe that is the style of music is punk functory and they're called the beginners. Because (laughs) (laughs) so this is a new genre. This is punk functory and the beginners. That's the perfect name. Here's why. Because they started the genre. They started the genre. Yeah. And they're just beginning and don't know how to play. That sounds good. Do you ever hear a band called Infectious Grooves? Mm hmm. If I were to define them as a genre, it would be that sounds similar, punk functory. They do punk, funk, and country? No, no, not country. I didn't I didn't actually catch the country part. So yeah. you're right, yeah. I think they created a genre, but I named the genre and you named the band. Okay. I think we make a great team. So Charlie and Maria, your band is officially named The Beginners. Rock on or punk (laughs) Punk functory on. We look forward to the first release. Yeah, the beginning release. Tony, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you and see your mug again. You too. Uh, Is there anything that you would like to mention or promote before we wrap it up? Oh, uh, my nonprofit is the Skate Park Project, and we help to build public skate parks in underserved areas. It's my proudest work, and we've been doing it for 22 years now. That's awesome. How many do you have around the country? We have helped to fund over 800 parks now. Wow. Congrats on that. Thank you. I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay. I'll see you at the skate park. Yes, sir. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks. is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willett and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. 
Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 